When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Stories of Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw. That would be the WWE Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. We got every woman's pet and every man's regret. The universal heartthrob. He's held titles in every territory in the world. Russell never main eventer in the world. And he is a talking machine. And apparently, once he even got stretched by Briscoe, that includes him and about 1,000 other wrestlers. He is Mr. Austin Idol. Austin, welcome to the show. Thank you, JBL. It's great to be here. And Jerry Briscoe, I remember him from so far back, JBL. Oh, we've got some stories, but some we can tell, some we can't tell. But I owe this guy a lot, and he knows it. He knows it. I send him a check every single year. Uh, I just tell him, don't cash it yet. Just <laughs> well, it's, it's like a battle roll check that you cash. I'll wait until I get up to, to a certain amount, then I'm going to take them all and cash them at one time. Objection. Like <laughs> objection. Objection. <laughs> Mike and Ben, it, it sure is great to see you, man. It's been way too long. I, I can't even remember last time I, I saw you. But, you know, I, as you mentioned earlier, our, our paths crossed real early and really both of our career. You're an old timer, too, whether you want to admit it. You're an old man, too. Just like <laughs> I'm going to object to that one, too. That's an objection. I feel great. What's wrong with and, you? And you're a guest, man. Mr. You're Briscoe, a guest. We That's just it. got him on our podcast. Don't insult him. He'll I know. Leave. It took me two years to track him down. I finally got him. And uh, I, but I can't help myself. That's how I know Mike. I know Mike when he was a little puppy and he's still pooping in his diaper. Danny Graham had to slap him on the cheek and, and change the diaper for him. But uh, it's true. Yeah. It's kind of still true. So it's yeah, like, so, tell, like so, tell us, <laughs> so, so so tell us, Mike, you know, you know, so obviously, you know, we ran across this a couple of years. I think you were you were just just starting. I, I think when I, I was coming in and out, I was was I in Charlotte at the time I was coming in and out. Jack was the guy down here at the time. So what do you shaking your head? You tell the damn story. You're the guest. You tell the story. Well, thank you. I mean, thank you. No, no, uh, no you're wrong. First of all, you're wrong. Of course. Uh, you're wrong. JBL, he, well, you know. He's was, an Okie. What do you expect? I was, in, I was in Tampa and I <laughs> I was in Tampa and I went through the snake pit thing for about a year. Snake pit thing. And finally, I after refereeing, and I, and I had like a few matches. I mean, really, just a few matches. I, I, I really didn't. I knew nothing, pretty much like now. I knew nothing. And then they uh, shipped me out to Nashville, Tennessee, to Nick Goulas. And I was going, Eddie, Eddie told me, you're going to be on a $300 a week guarantee. And I'm going, yeah, baby. Yeah, 1972, beginning of 72, 300 bucks a week guarantee. So the night before I left, you just happened to come in to wrestle in a tag match with Brother Jack, who I loved dearly, dearly, instead of, except when he was stretching me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and you know, I, we, we talked a little bit, we introduced each other, and I said, I'm going to Nashville. And I think you must have known, because you said, hey, listen, I'm in Charlotte, I'm in Mid-Atlantic, here's my number, just in case you ever need anything. And I kept your number. And sure enough, it wasn't too long after I got the McGoolers, I did need something. And I did call you. And you got me booked in Australia. It was my first break in the wrestling business. So tell us how you got to the snake pit. How do you got in there? Because you, you really wasn't a, a huge fan going in, right, was you? No, I was never a fan going in. No, but I was working out over at been in a nice way, booted out of a gym down in Tampa because me and a couple of my, our buddies were power lifters back then. So we would hog up the bench press and all the weights. So we were evicted, but in a nice way. And I bumped into Mike Graham 
over on Davis Island. There's a club over there, the, uh, the Island Club. Remember that? Yeah, the Island, Island Club, yeah. Island Club, yeah. So I bumped into Mike, and we just kind of hit it off. And uh, he, he said to me, where are you working now? I said, nowhere right now. He said, well, I've, I've got a gym that's been converted, you know, double car garage where I live. Come over and work out with work out with me, work out with us. And that's where the introduction was. And eventually, after training, of course, being around Eddie a little bit, not a lot, but just, you know, here and there coming and going, uh, I, I started lobbying to Mike, said, gosh, Mike, and I'd love to have an opportunity just to try out. You know, I don't even know what to call it, try out. And eventually, it took, it took a while, but Eddie agreed Okay, we'll let this kid try out. It was a, it was a, it was brutal. It was so, so you got, you got, you got your chance to go to go to the office there, the snake pit, as they called it. There, who were, who were the, uh, the participants in and and trying to teach you how to how to roll around the right way? How, how, no, that's no, no. They taught me how to absorb pain. <laughs> there wasn't any rolling around. There's no rolling around. No, no, not not. And there wasn't for probably close to a year. It was all it was all shooting and stretching and just fighting for my life. It really was. Who who were those guys? Roop and uh, Hero and Jack, Jack Briscoe. <laughs> Jack, yeah. Jack Briscoe was there. Now, Jack, Jack was one of those guys. Though Jack never like hurting you. He would just take you and wear your ass out, right? I mean, thank God, thank God, <laughs> thank God. Yeah, but you know, you can imagine some punk kid. He was just a power lifter and played some high school sports and all that, but uh, didn't have any amateur wrestling background. But I knew who these guys were. I didn't know. I didn't know from television. I knew that. And when I walked into the sportatorium there, my little shorts, tennis shoes, cut off, you know, T-shirt. In, in the ring was Jack Briscoe. Now, I knew about Jack's background. Bob Roof. I knew about Bob's background. Bob was probably 325. I had 3.30, the Greco-Roman guy, all that stuff. Matt Suda, Eddie, and then Mike, you know, put on some workout gear. So, you know, I'm walking to the ring, and I knew, I said, well, this is not going to be pretty. You know, it's like feeding the Christians to the lions. And I knew this was going to be really bad, but hopefully not too bad, you know, so... The first guy, they, they said, okay, Jack, you take him. It was so fast. It was like the old Muhammad Ali thing. You flip the switch off and you're in bed before it gets dark. <laughs> really, really, he fireman's carried me so fast and immediately went right into the sugar hole. Right into the sugar hole. And, you know, I'm a big guy. I was about... 275. So that all that works against you, right? And he's pushing. And my, you know, you know what it is. And my arms are like this. He's behind, his arms behind my neck. He got that armpit cup and he's pushing on my side. And I was like that far from passing out. But I mean, I knew I was going out. And Jack knew it too. And Jack let go. He, he let go, but he knew it was that close to passing out. So you know, I got up and I was all wobbly, and then it was immediately Bob Roof. You know, wow! Immediately, you know, push and shove a little bit, play with me a little bit, belly to belly, boom, over down on top of me. Uh, Matt Suda got it. Then Matt, Matt Suda got some, and then uh, Mike. You know, I'm gone. You know, I'm totally gassed. I mean, I got nothing. It's just on instinct. It's just nothing. So Mike, you know, he's round and round and round. And then Eddie, after I'm pretty much dead, you know, yeah. I barely have a pulse. Eddie says, okay, kid, let's see if you can escape. Get out in you know, the referee's position. And I say, okay, escape. I can't go anywhere. Where am I going to go? I have no fuel. Even if I could go anywhere, I couldn't go anywhere. I have no fuel in the tank. It's like fumes at best. Okay, kid, escape, escape. Well, I, I couldn't do it. And then he gave me the big cross face. Thing, I mean, like that. I mean, it was a good one. It was really a good one. I'm not, I'm bleeding, and then they let go, and they pretty much said, "Okay, that's it." And then uh, I'm riding, I'm riding back, and with my in Mike's, yeah, in Mike's car with him back to his house where I had my car parked. 
Mike says to me when we get in the car, he says, well, how did you like it? And I loved it. Can't wait to do it again. Which, you know, it's total, a total lie, but I didn't want to be working construction the rest of my life. So I said, I loved it. I can't wait to do it again. And that's, that's where it started. And I took wow. a, a year of that. A year, a year, you you went back and forth to Snake Pit there, and that and, and that during the heat of summer, that place was not air conditioned. That was like a sauna in there too, man. Yeah, it was Jerry, but it was just the it was just the brutality of it all. I mean, really, it was just the brutality of it all. It was just, yeah. you know, I hated it. I hated it, but I kept. I'd heard a conversation going through from the gym. You know, this is prior to that. This is what caused me to start lobbying to Mike. Mike and I were working out. And he said, let's go in the house and get some water. I've never been in the house before. So Eddie was for cell phones. So Eddie's sitting on his lazy boy chair and he was on the phone. We had to walk behind him to go into the kitchen to get some water. And I heard I heard Eddie say, so you'll pay him $1,000 a week. It's 1972. And I'm thinking to myself, $1,000 a week? I'm working construction. I'm dying out here in the floor of the heat. So... <laughs> When we get back into the gym, I said to Mike, I said, Mike, who's your dad talking to? He's always talking to the promoter in Australia, Mr. Barnett. That, uh, Mr. Barnett wants dad to send him a wrestler and he'll pay him a thousand dollars a week. That's when I started having a thousand dollars a week. So you made up your mind real quick then. This is what I want to do. Well, I knew that if you could make a thousand dollars a week and it sounded like you could, <laughs> well, uh, it's something to shoot for. Yeah, there's something to shoot for, yeah. yeah. And this was this back in 1970, $1,000 a week, man, was... Oh. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it was huge money. Yeah. It was huge money. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. When did you realize they weren't teaching you anything? <laughs> well, JBL, that's a really great question. I mean, I, I well, I knew it from the... After, say, um, a month, I kept thinking, when are they going to teach me a little something about the professional thing rather just beating me to have to death three days a week. I never even had a chance to recover either. I couldn't, yeah, I just couldn't recover in a day to go back on Wednesday, then Thursday to go back on Friday. I had Saturday and Sunday to go back on Monday. But I kept waiting. I just said, you know, I got two choices there. You gotta kind of wait it out and hope or quit. And then the thousand dollars a week was there. She says, well I'll just I'll just keep taking it man. I'll just keep but I was the first local kid to break into the wrestling business in Tampa, Florida, that was unheard of. Was the yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask you next. You, if you if you recall that, because there were, there were just so many that came after you, but you were you were the first that I I can recall, and this is from like nineteen seventy when I first started coming down here. Yeah, I was the first one, so I took it for the team. I mean, everybody came after me. They never got what I got. I mean, I'm glad for them. You know, I heard Hogan got an ankle broken, whatever. But I mean, I really took the I took the brunt of the whole torture. Torture, it was torture. Yeah. So, so about a year, you're 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 down there, you're busting your ass, you're getting your ass handed to you just about every day. Uh, when did the point come where where was it Eddie that finally said, or Matsuda that finally said, you know, Mike, you're ready, or how how did that how did they help come to that point? Bob? No, Louis Tillet called me in the office. That's <laughs> Louis. Yeah, Louis. You know, uh, smart guy, though. Very yeah, smart. Louis was very bright. Yeah. yeah extremely intelligent. You know, we're great. One of the greatest finish guys ever. Absolutely, absolutely. And and to listen to him was an education. Just to listen to him deliver a finish, how emotionally he got involved in every little detail in describing the finish. Oh, and it, it was it was it was a twenty minute to finish too, it John. Was I mean, crazy. I mean, you, and, you blew up just listening to the finish. <laughs> yes, you did. I mean, you so you have Louie here and you have Eddie here. I mean, what do you want? I mean, this yeah. is like Einstein and his clone, you know. So uh Louie calls me in the office and says, Well, you ready to get your feet wet, kid? I said, Yeah. So they start me as a referee, a referee for a while. And then they said Okay, let's give him some matches. My first match, they stuck me, a local kid. They don't want me to be seen. Right. You know, get him out there somewhere. Bell Glade, Florida. Sugarcane country. That's right. what it is. Sugarcane country. Football player country too, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, ain't no doubt about it. Yeah. My first match was Corsica Gene. They put me with Corsica Gene, yeah. Old timer. Put me with a veteran. Yeah. 
I, I've never wrestled before. I don't even know how to go through the ropes. I knew nothing. <laughs> he, st- he grabs me, throws me out through the ropes. That was foreign to me. I land on the concrete and broke my wrist. Wow. First match. <laughs> Six weeks in a cast. But it was one of those removable casts, you know. But nevertheless, welcome to professional wrestling. Yeah, thank you. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> so they never told you really anything. It's just they stretched you and stretched you and then put you in, a, in the ring. JB, I, I swear to you, what little I, what little I did learn, which was at the tail end, I, at, that really was at the tail end. They started teaching me about an arm drag, a headlock, take over the headlock, uh, just a, a shoulder tackle, just based some just very, very basic moves. Matter of fact, one day I'm in there trying to find my way a little bit. I'm not, you're talking about lost. I mean, I was a ship out on the sea with no sail, no direction. I mean, I was totally lost. Big old Dick Murdoch walks in. Love Dickie. Yeah. I mean, love that guy so much. And he's, you know, you know, his personality. Murdoch looks at me, he says, well, hell, boy. And he gets in the ring and says, you ever had a body slam? I said, no. He says, well, you getting ready to get one. Boom, bam. <laughs> First body slam, Dick Murdoch. <laughs> yeah, I was scared. I mean, no, I never been picked up like that. But he snatched me up and slammed me. And said, hey, I'm alive. <laughs> I mean, I'm alive. Yeah. But really, basically, no, they didn't teach me anything. Uh-uh. I mean, I went, when I went to uh, when I went to Nick Jules, I you know I mean I, I actually started learning a little bit there. I learned a little bit about how you're being robbed. <laughs> yeah, that was the first thing. So so when you went to went to Nick up there, I, I mean you know I would see I'd run into you just a couple of weeks before you left and uh, gave you my number there and. Uh, I, 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 when you told me you're going to Nick, I'm surprised Jack didn't tell you the story about Jack and how they quit the business when he went. To <laughs> <laughs> no, but <laughs> yeah, easy to believe. Yeah, and so uh, that's the reason I got to share my number with you. And so, but when you got up there, really, what what kind of money would was Nick paying? I mean, uh, you know, we all heard the horror stories, but I've never really had anybody that actually got an envelope from him, you know. Oh, no, Jerry, remember, I was on a $300 week guarantee. Yeah, yeah. I, so my first week, six nights, right? I got my check. I believe it was for 160 bucks. So I'm losing money. I, when I went up, when I went up, drove up there in a little beat up Nash Rambler that I had. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, you drove it to Charlotte. <laughs> I had concrete blocks in the back of the driver's seat to keep me up. I had $400 to my name. $400 to my name. My first check was like 160. I thought, well, that's that's not 300 bucks. So I went and I told Nick, I said, Mr. Gould, said, oh, that was a mistake. Next week we'll make it up to you. Okay, all right. Well, it didn't happen. As a matter of fact, I <laughs> went down to 120. And wow. it, 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 I was there for about, I think, about a month just sucking it up. And that's when I said, I'm starving to death. I mean, my 400 bucks, I'm into my $400. I said, I'm calling Jerry Briscoe. I'm going to call him. I called Jerry, boom. I, I said to him, I said, Jerry, I'm, I need help. I mean, I'm starving to death here. Can you do anything for me? So let me let me let me talk to old man Crockett, see what I can yeah, do. Yeah, it was it was Crockett Senior at the time there. So I, I went to I went to the office. Uh, Crockett Senior was there, Gary Hart was there, and, and I think Rip Hawk was all in there. And I told him about you. He said, get him here as quick as he can get here. So that, that's when I was back and called you. Told you. And you were here the next day. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I believe, I believe. Yeah. I said, no notice. I'm not giving this guy a notice. Yeah. And, and uh, who who opened their apartment up and all that for you, y'all? You know? yeah, by right. the way, by the way, I never did get rent. <laughs> but it's coming. It's coming. Just chill out a little bit, okay? Okay, I, I believe it. It's Dick Gale Goulas rent, too. <laughs> but, but you, yeah. got, but you, you started getting old. Jerry, Jerry, just a second, please. Excuse me for interrupting, but JBL, 
So in that conversation with, with Jerry, he, he talked again, he said, okay, I got your book, just come on up. I said to him, I don't have any place to live. I don't have my money, I have no money. He said, don't worry about it, you come live with me. It's all good. He said, don't worry about it, just come live with me. I got a big place, and, which he really, really did. I got a spare bedroom. He said, just, just move in with me. And it was like, a, I mean, really, it was a godsend. It was an absolute godsend because, I mean, I was in deep doo-doo and Jerry pulled me out of that doo-doo and that was my first break in professional wrestling. It turned out to be a great break. Great break. Yeah, so you got, you got here and you you got you started, or you got to Mid-Atlantic, you started getting over and you started, uh, you know, learning the business there and-, and uh, Hey, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute, Jerry. What was it like living with the Briscoes? <laughs> we can't go there. We can't go there. JBL, I'm under gag order. <laughs> uh, we we yeah, can't go I'm there. under gag order. So uh it was good. It, it was real good. It was it was a, it was a 70s, by the way, too. So. <laughs> we, had, we had fun. And Jerry was driving this really cool uh, uh Mercedes, you know, the coupe I and mean, the thing, you know, man. He's got the belt and he's got the big apartment. I said, you know what? I hope I can do any get to, just close to this. I'll be thrilled to death, you know. But uh, it, it was just, it was great. And, and I, I, real quickly, I remember I went from 120, My first week, I'm just on the card somewhere. And they gave us a, our envelope somewhere, Jerry Valley, or I don't know where they gave us an envelope with a, with a check in it, right? Somewhere in what, what town? I don't remember. I don't know. I don't either. But anyway, you, you get to check an envelope, Gabriel. So I'm thinking, hey, if it's 250 bucks, I'm excited. So I went into a bathroom stall, locked that thing, check, pull the envelope, pull the check out. It was like $440. I thought it was a mistake. I said, God, I just went, I'm rich. I just went from that to this, $440. And then I was like, oh man, cloud nine. Jerry Briscoe, yeah, cloud nine. <laughs> And it got yeah, a lot better. Yeah, we got a lot, man. It was, it was fun there. But you you befriended Gary Hart, and Gary had, had a great eye for a talent. And Gary was going back for, uh, I think, Mr. Barnett's last run over in Australia. And he, he asked you to go with him, didn't he? Yeah, and that was a tough thing. But if, if you harken back a little bit, Gary, harken back just a hair. That, and, of course, I didn't know. I don't know what was said in the back room, but obviously I got – voted in or whatever but it was, a, it was kind of a tag team territory then right right mid-atlantic and nelson roy was teamed up with Klondike bill and they were wrestling the andersons all over the place Klondike, one of Klondike's parents became ill Klondike had to leave and go to canada i think canada right they chose me as his replacement jbl so I, I had no idea about this but I'm thinking, well, that's an upgrade because those guys are way up there on the card, right? So I substitute for Klondike as Nelson's partner. We go around the horn. Payday comes, envelope. I'm still hoping for 400 bucks. Into the bathroom stall, lock it. Still open the envelope. Slowly slide that check out. I mean, really slowly. $780. I looked at that thing. I said, are you kidding me? Two or three weeks ago, I was making 160 bucks. I just made 780 bucks. Man, I knew that was a mistake. I put it back <laughs> in my tights. Nelson Royal said to me, did you get your check? I said, yeah. He said, how much was it for? I said, 780. I said, I'm sure it was a mistake. He said, no, that's what you made. And, that, and that's, what I, that's what I was making before I left for Australia. Yeah. How long were you down in Australia? And how did you like working for Barnett down there? Phenomenal. Phenomenal. I mean, because I was so fortunate to get in there. And, and by the way, Crockett had made me rookie of the year. Gary said, I can get you $1,000 a week because he, he saw me wrestling Bulldog Brower. He saw that deal. He saw how that could work. And uh, it was just I just got booked for the year. I'm making seven hundred plus dollars a week. He said, "I'll get you a thousand bucks a week in Australia, and they'll pay the taxes." And the cost of living is nothing. I thought, "Oh my God, I'm going to have to take it." 
<laughs> Damn. One gave Jim Crockett my notice, and boy, he was like, are you sure you want to do this, kid? And I said, Mr. Crockett, it's a thousand bucks a week. It's Australia. I'm young. I've got to do it. So I went there, but the answer is, I'm in, I'm in with all these masters, JBL. I mean, Mark Loon was the booker. Very, very smart guy. Very hard. Very, very smart guy. And, and, and major league talent, Curtis Alatea, King Curtis, Brower, Jeet Singh, Spiros Arion, Brute, you know, when Brute Bernard came over. I mean, the thing was loaded with talent. And it was like, man, you flew everywhere. No, you're flying everywhere. I mean, it was like the cost of living was nothing. It was incredible. Yeah, incredible. And I got my $1,000 a week. Yeah. I always thought. I always thought Gary Hart was one of the best guys in wrestling. I don't I don't know if he's underrated. I don't know how he's remembered, but Gary Hart was such a smart guy. I, I roomed with Gary Hart a couple of times in Texas, you know, before he kind of retired. And I was such he's such a pleasant guy and such a smart guy. He is one of the most underrated guys in, in our business history. I mean, for his booking ability and, and Gary's uh, knowledge of the business and knowing how to get over right, Mike. I mean, you, you can put him out there. If he was with you, you you were going to be the top guy no matter what because Gary was going to garner that heat for you. Yeah, he was he was very very smart. I mean, he really was. So I was fortunate because I had some really really wrestling intelligence around me. All I had to do was pay attention. Right. Some of it would rub off. So I mean, that's what I and, and I would ask questions. I mean, I asked a ton of questions, and I'd always get answers. So I'd always just. Put it in the old computer, you know. So, well, this must be how it works, you know. So, I was I was very fortunate. That was my second break. And, but plus, Gary was such a great, nice guy too. I mean, he was fun to be around. He was he was very, 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 uh, very generous with his time. And his lovely wife, what was her name? Uh, Twinkle. Qu Twinkle. Yeah. What what a great lady. She not Twinkle. Twinkle. Not, Twinkle. Twinkle. not Twinkle. Twinkie. Twinkie. Well, Twinkie, okay. Yeah, okay. Twinkie, whatever. Whatever, but yeah, what a great, what a what a great pair they were. I mean, they're just beautiful people. I, they were like Gary's like a brother to me, and uh, and uh, so I, I just got I got nothing but great great memories of Gary Hart. You know? Me too. Me too. So I you have I remember Gary Hart down in South Texas on the loop when uh, I forget who was running down there or something, but Gary Hart was my, my roommate down there and I'd go out with the boys and Gary wouldn't go out. You know, he's, you know, didn't, didn't care to, I'd come stumbling in about two or three o'clock in the morning, whenever the bar closed, I'd make all kinds of noise. Gary would get up so calm and I'd wake him up every night. He goes, did you have a good time? My boy, he'd, sm he'd smoke a joint, go back to bed. <laughs> nothing, nothing bothered him. I mean, nothing bothered him. Very laid back guy. So, but then you end up going to New York for Vince Senior, right? Was was uh, Vince when you went up to Vince for Vince Senior? Was Vince Junior already doing the commentary for the Madison Square Garden shows? Oh yeah, he's doing all the commentary, and that was phenomenal too. And you know, Barnett sold the territory, and yeah, he sold the territory, and you know, we took take a month off for Christmas, and then come back. And uh, Jim asked me if I would come back for the transition, right? So I said, of course. I said, yes. So I went back and there, you know, we shot a big angle prior to the vacation, came back and everything was really, it really was all sold out. But the talent was different. The big international superstars were gone. So the second week, houses were in half. I mean, I saw it. So this takes another buy. Third week, Quarter. Barnett had given me his number before beforehand, and he said, "If you need anything, Jerry Briscoe. If you need anything, I'll be staying at the Surfrider Hotel in Honolulu. Uh, just call, call me." I said, "Okay." Well, I did, and I called him. I said, "Jim, just, I got to get out of here. This place is absolutely dying. I've got to go somewhere." He said, "Where do you want to go, my boy?" With no hesitation, I said, "New York." He said, I'll call Vince. Call me back in a couple of days. I called him. He says, you're booked. You start TVs in March. I said, Jim, I want to be a bad guy. I want to be a heel. He no problem. I said, I want to change my name. Just make it Mikey Ford. Well, that rolls off a little bit better. 
I take care of it. I go to uh, and there's get into New York, and it's just you know it's big. It's, it's a big, big, big deal. Right? It's a, the Big Apple, right? And there's King Curtis is there, and thankfully when I walked in, I think TV in Philly, everybody's there, and Curtis walks up and gives him a big hug, right? So now I'm in with the family. They all know Curtis likes this kid. He must be okay. And uh, I was worked one like this underneath for about six weeks. And then uh, one day we're doing TV. I guess I guess it was back in Philly. I don't know. And um, Lou Albano came over and said, "The old man wants to see you." I'm thinking, "Oh boy, I'm in trouble, right?" So there it was it's, it's winter, and there's Vince Senior standing over there. Yeah, it was the old Philly arena. Got the overcoat on, he's looking great. The hair is, it's perfect, you know. He said, uh, he says, Mike, you know, I really like what you're doing here. You're really working hard and I like your style. He said, I'm going to put you with Lou Albano and Lou's going to be your manager. Are you kidding? Lou, you know how hot Lou was. He right, was, a, yeah. And so, you know, all that, you know, just hang on his coattails. Yeah. I'm going to probably do okay. And he said, Ravy train, yeah. Oh my God. And he said, and I'm going to start making you some money. And he did. He put me, and he did. And he said, I'm going to start calling you Iron Mike from Cord now. So I got with Lou, and I was there about a year, but that was a tremendous education. Lou was a great promo. And then it got cold. Exactly. Then I got a little snow. Oh, no, the weather, the weather got cold. Now, I know what you're saying. Yeah. There's <laughs> ice. JBL, see, he's, he's brutal. You know, he's brutal. Yeah, I got he's cold from up. Oklahoma. You got to expect it. It's all good. Hey, I've been through the snake pit in the plane crash. What's your, you know, come on, I'm all right. You know? Shark repellent on me. So, uh, you got to add something to that. You were in a snake pit, a plane crash, and you lived with the Briscoes. Those were three things that most people don't Exactly. Exactly. So, you know. Cats must have nine lives. I probably have more than nine. You know, but, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, we, we had, I woke up one morning. I was living in Connecticut, and the ice all over the place. That's, I mean, I made the town wherever, and I said, you know what, Florida. I'm going back to Florida. Yeah, so you're like an idiot. I, I don't know. But I, hindsight's always 2020. And then this was before you heard the story about Jack, where Jack quit up there, right? No. We, we landed in Newark, there was a blizzard going on. Don Morocco was, was picking us up. Don parked his, uh, his old uh, car out, out in the parking lot there, came in the airport. Back in those days, you'd come in the airport and go to the gate, pick you up, you know. So Don come to the gate, we were walking out, and there was, you know, of course, a bar there. Hey, let's have a couple of bloody marriages before we go down. So we had a few bloody marriages. We are feeling right, so we walked out in the parking lot. And there was a blizzard, and John, I don't know where my car is, and Jack's looking around. <laughs> Jack said, Gerald, he said, see that plane going south? I said, yes. He said, I'm going to be on the very next one. He turned around, went back in the airport, got on an airplane, and he was home in Florida. <laughs> Man, home. So, okay, so I wasn't the only one. <laughs> no, you weren't the only one. Okay, that's, that's funny. That's funny, yeah. Did, you know, did any of the boys suspect at that time that Vince Jr., was going to take over the company? No, no, they, no, they didn't. Uh, but you know, it, it was. I mean, they had it so together. I mean, they really did. And I remember one day, Lou Albano came up to me and said, "Mike, I got a hot tip for you." I said, "Hot tip?" He said, "What is it?" So the old man told me about it. I said, "What is it?" He said, "If you had any kind of money at all, just whatever, invest it in teleprompter." I said, "What's teleprompter?" He said, well, it's going to be pay TV. Now, this is 1973. Pay TV. I said, Lou, ain't nobody going to pay for TV. You got CBS, ABC, NBC. There's no pay for TV. I'm just telling what the old man told me. That was 1973. Pay TV. But that's, I mean, you can't make that up. Did I? Of course not. You can't spell it. How are you going to Brilliant man. That senior was a brilliant man. Good man. So, so you left there, and that is that when your 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 trips to uh, Memphis kind of started, and and so no, uh, no, you got no, a long, long history before that. Huh? Do your homework, will you, JBL? He didn't do any homework. He never <laughs> did any in school. You know, <laughs> why is he going to do it now? Never. <laughs> not going to do any homework. 
<laughs> no, I was so I went home with no job, no nothing to Tampa, but I'd been to New York and I made a little money. I had a little money saved. So I was went to the office one day, really just a little bit. Well, I know you never paid any rent, so I know you I know you had some money in your pocket. Objection. <laughs> Once again, Mr. Briscoe, one more outburst like you, we're gonna have you approach the bench and possibly oh, no. <laughs> throw your ass out of this courtroom and, and disbar you. <laughs> so, so all I right, guess, so you had all, all your money saved up from not paying rent. You're down on floor. Did you never home. pay any rent to the Briscoes? <laughs> never. Objection. And no fine, no finder's fee either. I mean, holy well, he shit. Never, he never charged me. Did, did, you? did you ever charge me? No, no, I never, I never, I never. Well, what do you want? Stop complaining. <laughs> all the money you have. Anyway, so. Anyway, I go to Tampa, I'm, I'm just, no job, take some time off. And I go into the office one day, just to let the boys, let the, let the office see that, hey, local boy who got murdered for a year, he's turned out okay. And he didn't have any help from here, really. I go upstairs, I was gonna say hello to Eddie, and Louis. well, Eddie wasn't there, but Louie was there. So I said, hey, Louie, how you doing? He says, well, how are you doing? So I'm great, just come back to New York and just take a little time off, and Louie says, you want to work? I said, gosh, I don't know, really, I'm really going to take a little time off. He said, you know, I got an idea. It's that fast. I got an idea. I said, we got a guy here, uh, Dusty Rhodes. Dusty's really, he's hot. He's a bad guy. And we got another guy here that they're kind of getting together, Joe LeDuc. He said, what about you wrestling under a mask as Dusty's partner? Dusty's on top. He said, we'll make you the super Texan. And you're going to make some money. You will make money. He says, I'm ready to go. Really? I became Dusty's partner. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a break. You're going, wow. on, you're going on vacation. Now I'm Dusty Rhodes' partner. Yeah. I got a mask on. Super, super Texan. I think I had just a T on or whatever. Dusty did all the talking. He discovered me out in Uvalde, Texas, pulling a plow. Yeah. He said, that's the guy. Bring me in. Yeah. And off and running. Another break. I, I started to roll. I'm rolling now. So how long did you how long did you did you stay on vacation? <laughs> you didn't stay long, huh? Well, no, I stayed, I stayed there. That would have been, I think you just turned in, that would have been 70. Yeah, it had to be 74. Early '74. Yeah. No, I stayed there. Uh, did the thing with Dusty, and then they finally they, they finally they put me with LeDuc, and it was mask versus beard or something. I can't. Oh, mask versus loser leave town. I think it was. That's what it was. And so he unmasked me. Right. So now, now I got to go. I have nowhere to go. Still don't have. Now back in the unemployment group. But somehow or another, from back in mid-Atlantic, I'd hit it off pretty good with Ole. Ole found out about it. I said, hey, they work down there. Let's bring him up here. We're making Super A right. or Super Anderson. And they're, they're on top. Right. Bang them into Atlanta on top again under a nice wow. Super A. Yeah. Luck, 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 luck. Right place, right time. Yeah. Time, timing, 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 you know. You know, and then so uh, only uh, you you had a hell of a run there. You with Tommy, you was with Flair, you was with ever 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 top guy in in, in the territory there. And that that's a great territory too. You're home every night. You're making pretty good money at that time. And so, so how, how what happened there? Well, first of all, the thing with the Andersons that that initial thing, that initial thing that was that was great, and then. Uh, what it ended, it ended, and I went back to Tampa. I can't remember why it, it ended. 
No, no, no. Uh, what well, that? That probably you cast a check from Brad Ward. Well, that's that's later on down the road. And that's, <laughs> okay. We don't have any proof of that, and that's objection once more. No, we have no. <laughs> we have no hard evidence, Mr. Briscoe. Uh, you're a hostile witness, Mr. Briscoe. You're very hostile. Oh, wait a minute! I was a stockholder, so literally that half a third of that check belonged to me. So I'm, I'm, I'm you'll have a bill collector here shortly after this show. JB, I'll take take care of him. Uh, I can't take him anywhere. He's mad. He's from Oklahoma. There you go. Austin, Trump was right about the wall. He's wrong about the location. We need, <laughs> a, wall, we need a wall between Texas and Oklahoma to keep the Briscoes out is what we need. Because they're, they're hostile. The Briscoes are all hostile. They're mad about everything. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. You should, you should see how many texts I get during the Texas OU game. And he hates OU as bad as I do. <laughs> oh man that's good stuff that's really good stuff but anyway, i mean i did the atlanta thing but see i was iron mike then yeah i started i ended back up in tampa and then went through that plane crash deal before i ever went back yeah, yeah, yeah. mike would do you mind talking about the plane crash that a lot of people really want to hear about it i mean uh, you know i'm you know from here and uh I, I was i wasn't here then i was up back up in carolina and so but uh, tell me what you can on the details of, of what happened. I'd... Yeah, yeah. So you know, um, the you know we had some pretty lengthy trips in Florida, pretty right. lengthy trips. So it was a Wednesday, and we're going to Miami, and I decided, that's, yeah, I decided. You and know, that's, after, that's after a TV day uh, morning too, right? After a TV morning, yeah, exactly. So I so, said, you know, I'm going to take go fly Delta. I won't make any money. Probably lose some money, but fly Delta, spend the night, and fly back the next day. So I'm laying out by the pool, you know, catching some rays. And Gary Hart walked by, and we were living in the same complex. He said, "How are you going to Miami?" I said, "I'm flying Delta." He said, "Why don't you come with me?" And I'm riding with Buddy Colt, who's a pilot, and Bobby Shane. We had an open seat. I said, "No, Gary, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stay the course." He said, "Well, if you go with us, you come back that night. You don't pay the hotel." It'll be a lot less money. You'll be back early. I said, "No, nah, I think I'll just stay where I am." So he so he asked me twice, and then the third time, I don't know, a couple hours later, he asked me again, and my inner voice was saying, "Don't do it," but I disobeyed it. But I learned I learned a lot from that about disobeying the inner voice. Usually, it's going to bite you. Typically, it would bit me. So I said, "Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it." And I knew nothing about how many hours somebody should have, should be instrument rated or VFR. I didn't know anything, anything like that. So I was pretty stupid about that. But there was really no reason for me to be, you know, up to snuff on that stuff. But Gary assured me that he was a really good pilot, former Marine, yada, yada. We fly to Miami, the weather's perfect, beautiful, boom, wrestling matches are over. Back to the airport, stopped at Wolfie's, get some sandwiches. And Going back to Tampa, we got around. It was beautiful Florida night, February, around Sarasota. It's still nice and clear and starry. And Buddy's talking to the flight controller in, at Tampa International, and the flight controller says, "Tampa is socked in with weather, but you can land at Peter O'Neill Airport." Now I'm from Tampa. I know where Peter O'Neill is. It's an island. There's water all around. It's from an island. But you can, it's open. You can land it Peter O'Neill. So there's a decision to be made. And Buddy says, what do you guys want to do? And I said, I'm all for going back to Sarasota. We'll rent a car and drive to Tampa. I didn't want to get a chance. And was fuel an issue also that night, Mike? No. Oh, no. Fuel was no issue. No, fuel was fine. So, uh, but everybody else is going home. Say, ah, let's just go there. Oh God. So, as we're as we're heading towards Tampa, the weather is slowly, you know, getting worse, and worse, and worse. Now it's too late. I can't. And then, then, I, then I find out well, buddy's not instrument rated. Then I find that out. So now the flight controller is trying to bring Buddy in on instrument rated 
and the vectors are just vectors. I'm trying to bring them in. And this is like super scary. And the anxiety in that plane is crazy. So it's foggy. It's foggy and it's raining. And everybody's looking for the, the runway lights. And by the time, buddy, and we're over the water. I mean, I'm, I'm, I know that much of the world over the water. None of it's good. By the time he gets, he's on approach, final approach. By the time he tries to land on the runway, he's still too high. So he has to pull up and bank, and he banks over the residential area. And I said, you know, that's a very affluent neighborhood. Right. He, he banks over there. And he's banking, and now he's banking where everybody's looking for the runway lights. Nobody's saying anything, just dead song. Everybody's looking for those runway lights. I mean, that's going to be, a, that's, that's, a, that's a really win. And next thing I know, it, it happened this fast. I saw white caps, just like that. Looking for the runway lights. Next thing I know, I see the white caps in Tampa Bay. And by, when I saw the white caps, I mean, you had very little time to think. But the, my only thought was, you're dead. You're dead. Bang! And then everything went into slow motion like a dream. Being just sometimes a dream in slow motion. And I'm tumbling. Just Where are you sitting? Where are you sitting, Mike? Huh? Where you, where's your seat? Shotgun, right next to Buddy. Okay. Yeah, I'm right next to Buddy. Tumbling in slow motion, water gushing everywhere. And then everything comes to a standstill. So everything comes to a standstill. And I, I mean, if I'd have been knocked out, I'd been dead. But, you know, but I wasn't knocked out. Uh, everything comes to a standstill. And I'm thinking, before the shock sets in, maybe, oh my God, you crashed. But you're still alive. Gotta get out. Gotta get, I, I was still strapped in. I, in my, I still strapped in. But you gotta get out. I'm going down with the plane. These other guys, except for Bobby in the back, he was strapped in and he went down with the plane. Buddy and Gary, they got thrown out quite a distance away, too. I mean, they were thrown out, ejected. And I'm going down with the plane and I'm thinking, you've gotta, you've gotta get out. I can't get my seatbelt off. I had cowboy boots on. And you know, the rudders in the, on the passenger side, the plane rudders, my feet, are, my boots on are, are stuck. The rudders mashed down on my, my boots. And I'm trying to get, pull, try to pull my feet out of my boots because I know if you don't get out of you're going to die. You're going to die right here. And somehow or another, it just happened. You know, the belt came off. Uh, my feet came out of the shoes. I I got out, I had jeans on. I don't know how I did it, but I got my, my jeans off. Somehow I did it. Maybe I got my jeans off after the, you know, after I came to the surface. I don't really recall that, but I got my jeans off and I'm floating in the water. Dead. The only thing I could hear was the white caps. It's cold water too. It's February. And plus, back then, Tampa Bay was famous for sharks. Because Tampa used to dump a lot of the trash and garbage in there. So sharks, and I know I'm bleeding somewhere. I've got to be bleeding. I have to be bleeding. And I'm like, I can't hear anything. But white cats crashing and thing. Oh my God, you're the only survivor. Everybody's dead. And then I hear that. Is everybody okay? Nothing. Is everybody okay? And then I heard Buddy's voice from, shoot, I don't know, 30, 30 yards, 40 yards away, quite a, quite a distance. And then I heard Gary's voice in opposite direction. And then, Bobby, are you okay? Now I know that where I was sitting, Bobby was behind me. So Bobby was either going to be in that in the seat like I was, or maybe he's not out. I don't know. But Bobby, you okay? Nothing. Bobby, you okay? Nothing. Okay, well. He's down below the water. You gotta make, have to make a quick decision to try to do something to be saving. I'm in shock, man. But anyway, I do some little goofy shallow dive, I guess it was, just trying to feel for an arm or a leg or something, nothing. Try it again, nothing. I said, you gotta save yourself. And that's when we swam to shore, which was a pretty good distance away. 
far. Pretty good distance away. We got lucky. We got the got to the shoreline. We got got picked up by the. And were, were there people on the shore waiting for you? Did you have to go in the houses or what? What was? No, no, we got to we, we got to the we got up. There was a, a, a dock, a dock, and fortunately it was low tide. Good thing it was low tide. Good thing it really was, it was low tide. So when we got to where we could stand up, I tried to stand up and forget about it. I mean, my feet just and it was like a knife. My feet. Your was, feet are all, all ate up from the coral and the, and the shells on the boat. Right? No, it was from the, the impact of the crash. Impact from the crash, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, and Buddy couldn't stand up. You know, his, you know, yeah. you know, you know that story, trouble. But Gary could stand up. So, we got to the, the dock. Again, there was a lot of coral on that, but we're hugging that thing. Gary stands up on our shoulders and pulls himself up onto the dock. And he's all, you know, he's screwed up, broken back, blood all over the place. I don't even sure if Gary had any clothes on. And he goes up and knocks on the door. A doctor lived there. And the doc, and about, I think it was about a month or six weeks prior to the crash, there'd been a murder on the island. So it was paranoia all over the place. Now here's this guy bleeding, pounding, pounding. And then the doctor sees what's going on. They call Tampa General, which is right there. And they come, they had to fish us out of the water. Yeah, yeah, wow. fish us out. Wow. There's a, there's a tough lesson, to, but if your inner voice is talking to you, pay attention to it. Wow. What a night. Wow. Oh, yeah. But hey, I made how, it. How long was your recovery from that, Mike? And did you have doubt that you were going to recover? Because Buddy you know, never, never was able to get in the ring. Gary was with a limp the rest of his life. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't think I'd ever wrestle again. That's for sure. And I'll tell you the truth, Jerry, I didn't want to. I mean, that was enough for me. I said, you know what? I'll find something else to do. I don't want to wrestle again. Was the airplane obviously uh, your your fear too? A fear? Well, yeah, your fear. Did you have a, a no? I never had, no, that that's no, 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 no that, that that's just a rumor. They scared me. No, I was never had no, never, never did. Uh -huh. I really didn't. Uh, but. After, it, it took me a while, I don't know, maybe six months finally to recover or so. And uh, that's when Jerry got the, he got the book in Georgia. He got the book in Georgia. Right. He said, hey, come on, come with me. Right. And I did. I followed him up there. And I had a nice little run there because the plane crash, I couldn't wear wrestling boots. I really couldn't. So I had to tape, tape my legs, tape my feet and everything. But I, I was I got over in a, in a big way because they, they felt legitimately felt very sorry for me. They did, so I got over it, and uh, I was doing great. And I was about two seventy five, maybe three hundred pounds, probably three hundred pounds. And then I got a blood clot in my leg, phlebitis. Uh, I mean, bad. I was really bad. It scared me half to death. And uh, the doctor they put me in anticoagulants, and they said lay in bed. Hopefully, any flagging will work. Just do not get out of this bed because if you do that, blood clot could dislodge, go to your brain, your heart, your lungs, whatever, stroke, death, whatever. Just when your fever goes down, it will be an indicator. So, and I had the belt. I was the Georgia champion, Georgia heavyweight champion. And it was a Monday night. They, I, I called, I called Gary. He was the booker. I said, I can't go to a guest. I got provided. I can't get out of bed. You have to go. I said, I can't go. Well, you have to go. You're the champion. I said, I'm not going. Furthermore, come pick up the belt. I quit. Then I knew I was done with wrestling. Went home, got back to Tampa. No job. Had a little money saved. No job. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to lose some weight. It may take me a year to lose 100 pounds, but I'm going to get from 300 to 200. And when I got down to about 220. And then I said, huh, don't new name, couple catchphrases. This guy can make some money. Uh -huh. Austin Idol is hatched. Yeah. So was that when you first got into the really good shape? Well, before the plane crash, were you uh, the, the you were power lifter, but you're like also a bodybuilder type? Was it after the plane crash that you got into such good shape? Yeah, it was after the phlebitis, JBL. After phlebitis, you know, that scared me. I mean, I thought, yeah, it was like it could have been a near death thing. It could have been death. And it scared me. I said, well, you know what? You knew you were going to lose weight anyway. 
So now you're being forced to do it. So just go back to Tampa. You got a little money saved. You're probably going to be all gone, but you're going to lose 100 pounds. So I figured two pounds a week. I can do that. I didn't think it was 100. It's too big a number. But two pounds a week, 52 weeks, 100 pounds. So I did. And uh, really, I got down to about 220. And that's when I said, you know what? You don't, you don't have a job. You don't have a career. But that guy there might be able to make a little money. Because you have some experience, obviously, in the business. You've learned from a lot of good people. Do your hair. Give yourself a name. Austin Universal Heart Brand. Get some mannerisms on. Women's Pet, Measure Bread. One season in Rome, one season in wrestling. On and on and on and on and on. And I've developed this guy. And uh, it turned out okay. You know, that plane crash, uh, the people in there all had this association with Jerry Lawler. You end up working tons of main event matches with Lawler and Bobby Shane was the one that had given him his crown before he went to Australia and then uh, passed away in the, the plane crash and Lawler was going to return it, but <laughs> didn't, didn't have it, didn't happen. So that's how Jerry became the King. Yeah. And go figure, right. I mean, and I had a, I, 10 years, 10 year run with Lawler off and on, off and on, but 10 years is 10 years. That's a long time. Is that one of the most amazing runs you saw a Lawler in Memphis? I mean, for him to be able to sell out the that Mid South Coliseum night after night, week after week, was that one of the best runs you saw of anybody in the territory? But, but I would say more than likely. But JBL, you got to remember, there was a lot of nights he didn't sell out because it takes two to tango. And I, I, sure, it does. It takes two to tango because if, if you don't have a formidable opponent, if it's not the chemistry is not there. The business is not going to be there. And I, I promise you, I saw a lot of people go through there that made big money elsewhere. They couldn't draw any money in Memphis. It was a very difficult area to draw money. Very difficult. I mean, extremely difficult. It really was. But I was fortunate enough that I had a lot of input with Lawler, a lot of input. And he was always open-minded. And I was always thinking, of six weeks in advance, you know, because he had a gig. He was part owner. I didn't have a gig, but I wanted to protect my gig. So I was always in thinking mode. So, yeah, because of that relationship. Well, you you kind of you hit it with, with the, the best of two worlds, too, because during your off time when you would leave, uh, leave Jerry, you'd go down for Fuller and work down in that great territory in Pensacola and all that area. Perfect. It was absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. And I love Pensacola and Ron was easy. Same thing with Ron, great guy. And, you know, Ron would be, he was always receptive to me with ideas. Ron, Ron is a brilliant guy. We've had him on. He's such a brilliant guy. Were you down there, were you aware that what was a plan B or any, any of that stuff that was going on with Roop and Orton and, and Garvin and, and Malenko and Ron Wright? You talked about it in Knoxville. Yeah, no, they were Knoxville. It was Ron's territory there. They cut the yeah. tape to expose yeah. the business. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know that story very well. Yeah. Was there any rumors of that happening at that time, or did it just come out of the blue? I think it, you know, I think it came out of the blue, if I'm not mistaken. You know, yeah. you know Ron had bought the territory down from whoever figured or whoever. So, uh, it's one of the most amazing things I think in history of business, how that tape could be cut yeah. 30 or 40 years ago and never, never brought to light. And then all of a sudden it's out there. you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's strange to say the least. Yeah. 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 I had, but I had a great deal there. I had Memphis here, I had Ron here. And so I was very happy. And I wasn't, I wasn't burning out, you know, I wasn't burning out. It's flying everywhere here. And with Ron, short trips from home, we got to the beach. I had a maid. I had a move. Yeah, it's all in the beholder, man. And a guy, I mean, you, you, you didn't sacrifice it. You were making the money and you, the luxury that you had, you were home every damn night. So, you know, the money was money was good and you were home. The conditions were great. Plus, it's a paradise to live down there in North Florida. Yeah, you know, and back, and, you know, back then, you know, things have changed, you know, with the New York thing and all that. And, you know, I knew, I knew these guys that they were making some very, very good money, but I never really cared about it because I figured, you know, they are, but they're, they're, they're paying the price. 
we're paying the price for that money. And my, my way of thinking was, I just want to stay healthy, be as happy as I can be, and not be stressed out physically or mentally. And that turned out to be pretty good, yeah. Yeah, well, you look fantastic. Now Now, now we can find you on NWA. Tell us a little bit about what's going on with uh, our Mike McCord, uh, the Austin Idol. Austin Idol. Uh, <laughs> hey, man, I've known. I wouldn't do you when you were pooping your pants, so don't get on me too bad. Well, you know, that's the second or third time pooping in my pants. Yeah, that's the only thing. That's the well, only yeah. Thing. I, I meant to tell you that when you're rooming with me, you know, there's a thing called bathroom that we have nowadays. Up into the snake pit. <laughs> yeah, snakes don't poop in the bathroom. Yeah. So don't <laughs> tell you why well, I didn't rent that part of the uh, condo out either. <laughs> no, but, but, you know, it's funny how things evolve and come sometimes full circle because, you know, I've ended up, I think I know, I'm sure next month will be, I started five years ago with Billy Corbin, who's a phenomenal guy. I mean, just a great guy. Five years ago, yeah, they, I mean, I got a call out of nowhere to go to New Jersey, yeah, to manage someone. So anyway, and then so I worked with them just a little bit, and then that kind of ended, and then it's been I don't, I don't even know it's three or four years. It's been a while, maybe three years. I don't, I really don't know that I'm back with the NWA and I, I, I really love it uh, for a lot of reasons. Their, their locker room is so unbelievable. I mean, they have the best locker room. I mean, we, there's no drama. It's a big team and some great personalities and some tremendous talent, tremendous talent. Uh, and Billy is uh, easily the down to earth guy in a big global rock star, Smashing Pumpkins, very, very smart. I don't know how he handles all that, but above my pay grade, but he's a very intelligent guy. But he's so down to earth too. I mean, he's just, he's just the easiest guy to, to do business with. You know, I never, you know, all the years I've in the business, Jerry, I swear to you, this is the truth. I always never felt like I was working for anybody. I always felt like I was working with them. You know, with them, always kind of that was my mindset. I'm not working for you, I'm working with you until something happens. But with Billy Corbin, is totally with him, and he's just he's got he's got a lot of vision for this company. And I, I see some big things happening with it. I really do see some big things happening with it. He's patient, he's patient guy. How do you enjoy now being a manager? Oh, I'm having a blast, JBL. I mean, look at the guys I got now. I mean, just off this last hard time series, did y'all y'all see that? I got all Gosh. the gold. I got all the gold. So treat me with all respect, Disco. <laughs> well, we've had Billy Corgan on here, and he was awesome. And we've had Tyrus on here, and he was awesome as well. So yeah, yeah we, we follow NWA very closely. Yeah, so I manage Tyrus. I manage uh, uh, Scion, the mass Scion, and he's so athletic. And then a new kid that I love this kid, Jordan Clearwater. Now he's got the national television title, the one that uh, uh, Tyrus had. So I've got these three champions, and they're all under my umbrella, Idol Mania Sports Management. So in order to have all that stuff, somebody really has to trust you, you know, has to be tremendous trust there. So we, William Patrick Corgan and I have a good relationship, yeah. Hey, is managing not the best, though? I just started uh, managing uh, Baron Corbett, and it's so great because you do all the backstage stuff, then you go out there and you don't have to take bumps. Right. <laughs> it's, just, it's wonderful. Talk. Talk. <laughs> That's right. Rap. rap. Be a rap master and have some have some fun, you know? So it's a great gig. And, you know, we don't, we don't work that often. I mean, we just did New Orleans. Just got back to New Orleans. And then uh, December... Uh, so I know for me, December 6th and 7th, yeah, will be Nashville, and then January 31st, it's Knoxville, and then February, it's three days somewhere, maybe, maybe Tampa, maybe Dallas, I don't know, you know, but, you know, it's not like it's a crazy work schedule, but when you are there, you're putting in a lot of hours, I mean, you're putting in 14 hour days, that's great. I mean, it's great. It's nice when you're doing something you really enjoy. 
when you're around the right people. It makes it it makes it easier. And it's nice also if you're, if you're like me, it's, uh, you know, when you're out of the, kind of out of the business for a little while, then they ask you to come back and do something with one of the young guys. It's, it's, it's really enjoyable because it's, it's like a gift. It's a bonus. Yeah. Because you get to help people too, right? JBL, you get to help. People. Absolutely. I give them, tell them, tell them, you know, tell them you're giving your knowledge. You're, some of them will understand it and get it. Other ones say, hey, what does he know? Right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Hey, what could he possibly know? What does he ever done? Right. <laughs> Yeah, speaking of sharing your knowledge, you, you, you also, I don't know if you still have it, but you have a, a wrestling institute there in South Carolina where you, where you help train guys for not only the business, but for life around the business, too. Yeah, I do. I still have it, Jerry. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, uh, yeah, I do. It's, it's a Universal Wrestling College. Got a website. I don't know why you guys don't have it up there. That's okay. Uh, we will. We will. I mean, we're you're speaking to two old wrestlers come on <laughs> too old too old i don't see any age here on either one yeah, yeah and so we'll we'll get it up there somehow we do know somebody that can put that up yeah there. We, okay, we're, we're not good at we we can't do it but we'll get it up there <laughs> he, he loses our show somewhere in the cloud up there so you know yeah i lost one of our shows we had like a two-hour show it was excellent and i lost i lost it no you didn't jbl you were hacked that's yeah, exactly yeah, that's what it was you I was hacked. You were hacked. Yeah. You, you <laughs> that, I, love, I, I love how these wrestlers and celebrities, they come up, they put all this stuff on their Twitter after a night out drinking, and then they say, you know, I was hacked. I was just hacked. <laughs> oh, man, that's social, man. You know, that's I'm, I'm, I don't get into all that stuff. You know, I do business only, business only. But, yeah. So yeah, you, sure. So, yeah, Universal Wrestling College. It's in Greenville, South Carolina. I've got some good guys. It's a great institution. It's 12,000 square feet. So it's a big building. I've got my room here. And then one of the guys, maybe you've seen my NWA, Priest of Punishment. He's a big guy, weird, freaky-looking guy, tremendous athlete. Over on this side, he has, as in the number four balance fitness, uh, Mike Cole is his name. So he runs all that over there. My ring is over here. And it's just a great facility. It's great. I mean, uh, and plus, these guys know, and it's true, that if you come here and you develop, if you develop, and you just stay the course, you stick with it. You can't quit in life. You know, we all got a lot of quitters, but you can't quit. Uh, you're going to get a trial with the NWA. Not a problem, but you've got to develop your skills. I mean, all it takes is an email. Hey, this guy's ready for a trial. We're going to get it. I've got three guys who are going up. Matter of fact, they're going to uh, Nashville in the early December dates. They're going up there just to really kind of hang out because they're not ready yet. So they get to sit in the studio, watch production, get in the locker room, you know, get to mingle with the talent. So they're, they're way pumped up. Yeah, they're way pumped up. Well, Austin, I know you're uh, short on time, and we could talk to you for a long time because I'm a big fan of what all you did. You're, you're It's funny how I really like the uh, heels that can talk. It's, it's something that I, I find very uh, interesting. So, But thank you so much for coming on the show. We really do appreciate it, taking all the time that uh, you've taken and sharing almost some stories about living with the Briscoes. Yeah, um, yeah, I've got some that we just – we better not we better not talk about them, you know. <laughs> but I was yeah, – <laughs> My my wife. I met my wife across the street from that apartment that you that you moved into with me. So she was living across the street from me at that time. So we didn't do anything really too bad. Or no, no, we didn't at all. No, we really, honestly we didn't. We were pretty darn good. Yeah, I'd say we were a stand up. Thank, thank you, thank you, Mike. <laughs> I don't believe it. Well, I brought you good luck. You did, you man. Yeah, you did. Always have, man. It's always been good. Always been, been good to be your friend. I've always been proud of you. And uh, you'll always be one of those guys that I can look at. I've I, I, I met him a long time. I knew him when. So, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, same here. So, anyway, love you, man. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys. Thank you very much. Thank you.